Welcome one and all to the Bird Gang Blitz. I'm here joined as always by my co-host John Venerable. I am Blake Murphy. And uh, John, how, first of all, how are you doing tonight? Good, Blake. How are you, sir? Doing good. It's just been a crazy week. We've got a whole lot to get into. First, let's start with kind of the, as of just a little bit over 24 hours ago, the breaking news that took place, uh, something that fans had wanted and begged for in 2015. We, two years later, sit and talk about Adrian Peterson is now a member of the Arizona Cardinals. It's been a uh, very interesting process, a lot of news stories, a lot of actual uh, positive buzz about the team for the first time in a while. So, John, just first take me through what your reaction was when you heard the news. Uh, yeah, roughly the 10-year anniversary of when the Cardinals could have drafted him in 2007. Uh, now 2017, Adrian Peterson, 32 years old, and uh, it's kind of uh, Steve Kimes uh, MO to eventually acquire Adrian Peterson two years after essentially, uh, you know, the rumor was that he was uh, in discussions with Minnesota about offering as high as a second round pick to the Vikings. Uh, they declined. And of course the rest is history. And the, the Cardinals went on to draft David Johnson in the third round um, with David's injury earlier this season and uh, the non-existent running game. The Cardinals are dead last in every single statistical category in terms of rushing in the NFL um, and really nobody is close to them and so they felt like they needed a spark uh, this is a move that frankly I didn't see coming and I know a lot of people from a national perspective are critical of it uh, I do not see the harm I think it helps the team uh, I don't know how much it helps the team but I can tell you that they're better today than they were a couple days ago uh, I think a motivated Adrian Peterson is better than whatever they were trotting out last weekend, uh, whatever that showing was against Philadelphia, and Blake will get on to that. But um, this team has had opportunities in the red zone. They've been getting to the red zone. Their biggest problem is the fact that they cannot convert when they get inside the 20. They need David Johnson back in this offense. They need a power back. And that's what Adrian Peterson, I think, can bring to them. Is he going to be able to have David's, you know, dimension in the passing game? No, but I think he's going to be able to push the pile. I think he's going to be able to fall forward, give them four or five yards of carry on specific downs in the red zone, maybe on first or second down, um, three, four, five yards of carry in specific instances early on um, in, you know, key drives. Um, he's not going to be the pass catching back. We'll still see Andre Ellington in that role that he's comfortable with. He's done a nice job the last couple of weeks, but you know, Adrian Peterson is already listed as the starter. It's come out on the Cardinal depth chart. He hadn't even arrived with the team yet. And it'd been released by the, the Cardinal, um, website that he was listed as the starter. I fully expect him to get 20 to 25 touches per week. Uh, I think Bruce Arians and Steve Kime have kind of made a pact this year that, you know, they're all in with these veterans, Larry Fitzgerald, Carson Palmer, you know, if this is it for them and you can lump in Bruce Arians with that category, they're going to go all in. And I think including somebody of the pedigree of Adrian Peterson, a surefire lock hall of famer with a chip on his shoulder that frankly was embarrassed on national television, the blow up on the sideline with Sean Payton in New Orleans really, um, kind of gotten the runaround in terms of promise to lead back role. I'm not sure what the discussions were uh, in the off season, but you know, for the individuals who say, well, he can't play anymore. He's washed up two years ago in 2015. He led the NFL in rushing with, I believe 1500 yards. 
Uh, I know he had a down season a year ago. That was behind uh, next to Seattle, the worst offensive line in football, Minnesota. They had all kinds of problems. Um, so I'll throw that year out. And then this year, the New Orleans Saints thought enough to give him $3 million to come in and compete uh, with the likes of Mark Ingram. Now, we know the Saints aren't particularly well run, but they thought enough to give him a nice contract for a 32-year-old running back. So the talent's there. Um, Charlie Casterly of the NFL Network said he saw him over the summer. The jump cut's there. The power's there. uh, The breakaway speed may not be there, but – you know, for an aging running back, I think if you have two out of three, if you've got the ability to move laterally and you've got the power and if he can stay healthy, knock on wood, I think he's going to be exactly what this team needs. They've just been so small at the position since David's gone down and they've, you know, gone down with first contact with Kerwin and Andre and Chris. If they have the ability to break a couple tackles with Adrian and push the pile and they can work off of play action and give Carson that element of a run game. Uh, suddenly things open up a little bit for this offense. Do I think it's going to save the season? I, I don't, but at the same time, I think it makes them more interesting now. I'm more excited to watch this team now. I think that a motivated Adrian Peterson, again, is going to be a productive Adrian Peterson. And I think that going into these next 11 games, they have a better chance than before they made this trade. And for the what they gave up, a six-round pick, uh, I think it was more than worth it. What do you think, Blake? Yeah, I think the biggest impact that you'll see at least right away is just in the expectations of the players. Uh, just looking at how Larry Fitzgerald reacted, um, seeing Patrick Peterson, just the response that they had, it was a – very, very down, a very, very kind of almost like melancholic, almost mourning kind of tone for Phil, uh, in the Philadelphia game where the players just could kind of tell that they didn't have the talent offensively and then uh, to be able to keep up. And once the defense scored and they had some special teams errors, it just kind of all fell apart as the team came out in the second half and just didn't really seem to respond. So this is kind of one of those moves that moves the meter a little bit within the players where not having to watch Chris Johnson, even though you know that he was so done that the team had cut him and having to kind of bring him back as an emergency. I think that that's going to be one of the first types of motivations. And secondly, it also at least gives the players confidence that Bruce Arians and Steve Keim aren't going to sit on their laurels. This is something where, you know, people and fans have always brought up the idea of, uh, is it time to tank? Is it time for the team to tank? And this is at least a move where they're showing that they're going to try to give it their best shot. We're not sure, obviously, if it's going to end up kind of working or not. Uh, we've got a huge game with the Bucks coming up at home. Um, but what's interesting is kind of looking at Peterson engaging it is kind of checking out the scheme fit. And some of it is because you take a look at what they had with David Johnson, and that was a three-down running back uh, who was able to catch out of the backfield. He grew a lot in pass protection. And that ultimately is what the Cardinals are really looking for, is the, the type of back who can kind of be there all three downs. That's not Adrian Peterson, but what he does bring to the table on first and second down is, I believe, going to be quite a bit bigger uh, than anything they've been getting from the previous running backs. Instead of maybe having a first down where you're able to end up in First down, run for minus two yards. Second down, you either have to do a short pass play or maybe check down. Uh, or if you're into running again, you can maybe look at third and long. You can find a way to be able to Peterson bully his way through a few guys um, where you can turn it into more of third and fours or maybe even a third and three. Uh, it, some of it will depend on if the offensive line can get a push. But uh, the good news, at least, is just from looking at some of the tapes, there's a clip Adrian Peterson actually retweeted it himself of, showing him being able to kind of hit the hole hard and running uh, through Luke Keechley, 
uh, gaining an extra four yards just from keeping the legs churning. That's something that we did not see from Chris Johnson this year. He just looked like a shell of the 2015 self that we'd uh, seen from him. Now, the question, of course, with all of that is, is, is Peterson going to be able to find some of these lanes where you'll be able to see some of these holes behind this offensive line? And that's kind of a question that we're still having to try to figure out right now. That's something the Cardinals are trying to figure out. That's something up in the air, but it is interesting where you're talking earlier and mentioned about that second round pick that Steve kind of given up. Just looking at a little bit of, uh, you know, rewriting history. Imagine if you'd taken Marcus Golden off this team and put Adrian Peterson on in 2015. And you're assuming then that you're, you're going to take David Johnson off because they were looking at Amir Abdullah. What exactly is kind of the outlook of this team look moving forward? Because you're going to be then looking at not just an aging Carson Palmer, but also an aging Adrian Peterson and the aging Larry Fitzgerald. That's not even counting if there's any injuries that happen. So it's just very interesting to see how the value just in two quick years, it shows how quick it is in the NFL. It also can show how quick it could be for a running back in the NFL. Peterson's 32. Um, he's a guy who I think can make an impact. The question, of course, is we've always seen this. This guy's like, Jamal Charles is still having the slight impact, but the top running backs do seem to have kind of a fall off. The easy comparison, of course, being Emmett Smith in the desert. But Smith still did good his last year. As it's been mentioned, he had uh, nine touchdowns and about 900, almost 1,000 yards that season. If the Cardinals can get even like a fraction of that where there may be, say, if you can get eight touchdowns, get some red zone protection, maybe you can approach about even seven, 800 yards if teams start trying to stack up on the box. That's exactly what they're looking for. The one thing I do want to at least touch a little bit on, however, is that this isn't really going to replace the impact that Andre Ellington's had on the team. Ellington has basically taken over the third down running back role uh, from David Johnson. And just the last couple of weeks, his production has been kind of crazy in the past game. He's had nine receptions uh, for, 80, uh, for uh, 86, 59, and, and then 65 yards against the Eagles. Uh, he's just basically been a player who has been that kind of third down check down been able to at least make a couple guys miss or they've been able to match him up on linebackers since he said that speed and shiftiness so it's been interesting I know fantasy fans can kind of take a look in some of that stuff at least for wondering you know should I pick up Adrian Peterson should I not I think that he's gonna get uh, at least about 15 touches or so the, the question at least that we're people are wondering I know Vegas is what's going to be the impact of in the passing game are you going to see him on some third downs even as like a small option at least at all is he just not going to be on the field at all on third down but I think if you look at what Chris Johnson had been getting for the last couple of plays when David Johnson was first running the ball he was on the field all the time getting about 20 25 touches but Chris Johnson was only getting about uh, 13 and, uh, to 12 attempts per game. And the last game against the Eagles, he only ended up with nine attempts. So if you're looking at Peterson replacing Chris Johnson, they really did do a running back by committee approach before Peterson came with, uh, with Kerwin Williams, with Andre Ellington even getting some carries. I think what will shift at least is you'll start to see all those carries from Johnson will go to Peterson. And you'll start seeing maybe a couple extra because they won't have to try to switch out to a bigger back or like last week they had to move to a totally different red zone back uh, with trying to get Elijah Penny in there and it just didn't work. Uh, having that vision, having that power, I think Peterson's a guy who if he can stay healthy and maybe you can say if you get back a DJ Humphreys and you can get back an Alex Boone, maybe even if it's not this week, um, then I think that you are going to start talking about a team who they're not going to go out and end up getting embarrassed every single week. This is a team that at least will be able to be a little bit more balanced defensively. You'll maybe be able to take at least a couple of hits off of Carson Palmer. Uh, it's just going to be about staying clean. Uh, the team has just had so many different woes. Speaking of those woes, 
let's talk a little bit about the Eagles game and especially just talking about the defense performing. James Betcher has been running a lot more zone coverage this year, been blitzing a lot less. What were your thoughts about just the defensive performance and just the embarrassment in Philly and the loss to Philadelphia this weekend? Yeah, I, you use the word embarrassment. That That's the first thing that, that would come to my mind, Blake. Um, just an embarrassing performance all around, um, especially, you know, a week after you lose. Um, Marcus Golden, you figure maybe the guys, you know, try to rally around his injury, play well a week after his injury. Uh, that was not the case at all. Um, for the most part, this unit uh, has stayed relatively healthy. I know that they have not had Robert Camdici for – uh, the first quarter of the season, and that's big, been a big problem. Uh, but they have Dale Buchanan back now. The secondary has stayed relatively healthy. Uh, they have what is projected to be one of the deeper secondaries. We've talked about it, and they were completely exposed. Um, they were outcoached defensively. Uh, and what's frustrating is, is you've looked at this team and how they've been built. And uh, quite frankly, majority of the resources and most of the resources that, that have hit – have been on the defensive side. And so when you have struggled like the Cardinals have, and you go and you give up that kind of performance and those kind of points and that kind of yardage uh, against Philadelphia on the road, um, it just speaks volumes to this team and where they're at psychologically. And you saw the frustration on Patrick Peterson's face, third and 19 late in the game when the game really you know, it wasn't completely out of hand. You force a punt there, and maybe the offense can muster up another touchdown drive, and you can close the gap a little bit. You know, why are you why are you blitzing in that scenario? Why why aren't you playing? You know, off man or what? You know, why are you why are you playing? Why are you blitzing in that scenario? In in terms of the the notion that you're trying to force some kind of turnover mistake. You know that they could potentially go deep. Are you thinking that they were going to run some kind of screenplay? Are you trying to snuff out some kind of I, – I, I don't know the reasoning there. I think it was James Betcher's call, but Bruce Arians fell on the sword for him. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to speculate any more about that play because it was just it's a terrible defensive call. Uh, I'm not impressed with James Betcher so far this year. Uh, it's been established. He's not Todd Bowles. I don't think we have to worry about James Betcher getting any defensive court or getting any head coaching jobs anytime soon. Um, the one thing that this defense does not do, uh, well, they don't do a lot of things that the Todd Bowles defenses did while he was here in Arizona. But the biggest thing that I've noticed is they do not create turnovers. Those, those early defenses between 2013, 2014, those units created havoc and turnovers, pick sixes, picked up the ball off the turf, forced fumbles. Uh, they created havoc. You know, guys like Antoine Quezon had big years in, in, in Todd Bowles' schemes and were put in positions to succeed. And, you know, no-name no name guys had monster years. You know, this year's team defensively, um, they just – Honey Badger, Peterson – Tyvon Branch is having a great year, you know, from an analytical standpoint, but where are the turnovers? That's what's going to keep this team alive week in and week out because the offense is so limited. They need a short field. They can't be expected to drive 80, 70, 60 yards, you know, week in and week out. Um, and so it's frustrating. They were completely exposed by Carson Wentz. It was a tale of two teams. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles, 
how they've been built the last several years. They, they've really kind of done an admirable job. Where this team was in 2015 when the Cardinals visited them, um, it, it was around Christmas or December of 2015. They were trotting out Sam Bradford. They were a team kind of in flux like the Cardinals are now. And the Cardinals went in there and put up, I believe, you know, 30 or 40 points and embarrassed them on Sunday night football. David Johnson had his coming out party, rushed for 180 plus yards and, um, you know, just thoroughly handed it to him. Dale Buchanan had a pick six in that game. You know, I think Tyron tore his ACL in that game as well. But um, I think after that, that season, they kind of rebooted it last year and, um, ended up scoring Carson Wentz that offseason. And um, they look like the team to beat in the NFC East. There's no doubt about it. And he looks like a young Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, his mobility and pocket presence and poise and touch and accuracy, I mean, he, he is exactly what Bruce Arians craves and strives for in a franchise quarterback. I mean, he, he is an impressive specimen at that position and something that, I think any GM head coach combination would love to have in this, in this, um, in this league, you know, quick side story. I'm an Illinois state alum. I live in um, South of Chicago and uh, our, our football team made it into the division one AA championships. And we lost to uh, his alma mater and he drove his team down in the, in the final seconds of the game, we had taken the lead. And I, I believe he played for South Dakota, South Dakota, North Dakota. I can't remember one of the Dakotas and, and came yep, down North and Dakota scored State. in yep. North Dakota state. One, came down and, two championships there. Yeah. And we had taken the lead and I think they had like, and they needed a touchdown. Like they had like 90 seconds left, came down and shredded our defense and, and won in the final 90 seconds. I mean, he, he's, he's a big time player. And, um, and so the Cardinals kind of hope that they are able to acquire something to that caliber here in the next couple off seasons, but it's going to be difficult. And so I'm sure they're incredibly envious of what Philadelphia has going now, but just to kind of wrap up on the defense, Blake, from my perspective, it's just incredibly frustrating because when the offense isn't on, which they haven't been, and the special teams were as bad as they were, and the defense has an off day, you're going to get embarrassed. And um, you saw the frustration from Patrick Peterson is starting to set in, which I think led to the sense of urgency from the front office this past week as to why they felt they needed to make a move like they did for Adrian Peterson. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Just <coughs> when you look at the last few years. <coughs> a second here. <laughs> I have the ability to mute you. I think you can do it as well, but I'll cut this part out of the middle of the uh, recording. I'll start over. Well, I'm just, well, you, were you about to say something there? No, I was just coughing. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Not a problem here. All right. Yeah, absolutely, John. No, if you take a look, uh, you hit it right in the head with the idea of that this team is not for forcing turnovers. If you go back to 2014 and the Todd Bowles defense that was there, the Cardinals were a top three team in uh, turnover differential right behind the Packers and Seahawks. Go to 2015, they were a top two team only behind the Carolina Panthers. 
you go and then to look at the defense in 2016, they were 17th ranked. You go to this year, and they're tied for 25th, just five games into the season. So this is just a, a franchise that ever since you saw, I don't know if it's whether it's guys like Rashad Johnson and Gerard Powers, once those guys left, you just have not been able to find uh, guy, playmakers in the secondary to replace them. And Tyron Matthew has not been able to recover well enough from his ACL where he's been able to have an impact. He did have a turnover that was forced in the Colts game, but this is just a team that seems to be kind of going downhill. And with Patrick Peterson being your main playmaker uh, and him being on one of the most terrific tears that I, I can remember of any cornerback in recent memory, teams aren't just even looking or throwing his way. It's been like the total shutdown, but it's also shut down in terms of the, <laughs> the turnovers. This team has not been able to find uh, – defensive line or even very much safety help as far as for forcing turnovers you just look at how just going back to that play on third and 19 when Bethea was blitzing Jason Kelsey did a marvelous job of just kind of reaching out and holding up the player as he was coming on in so that no one got to Carson Wentz it's just kind of the, it just seems that there's something missing from this team as far as for uh, both on the defensive line just kind of on the linebackers there's just kind of a, this idea of hunting and Marcus Golden's not around there to be able to force fumbles like he used to anywhere. And teams are going to be able to tee off in Chandler Jones. It's just kind of an area where it feels like the defense isn't just taking a step back, but it feels more like they don't have their identity yet. It's there. You've seen a couple of big plays for each game, but they don't really have their identity as far as for being a lockdown team. You've seen them be able to go out and perform against Jacoby Brissett. You've seen them go out and perform against Brian Hoyer. But they don't seem to really – you've seen them for a half against the Dallas game, but they don't really seem to have the best ability to contain some more of these more mobile quarterbacks uh, or a tougher, strong-in-the-pocket guy like Wentz. It just feels as if they're a team that's good at, at everything, but there's not really one thing that they're great at. And when they do end up having their struggles, they just end up being maximized. So that's, that's one of the areas for the Cardinals looking forward where I think the rest of the season you're going to have to take a look at even if you get a guy like Kandichi back and maybe you play, even if you play Buda Baker more, he was unfortunately embarrassed by uh, an Elson Aguilar, who's a guy I really liked at least as a route runner coming out. He was just embarrassed on a deep touchdown pass in that play. And you're going to end up getting that from time to time with guys. You're not going to ever have a Patrick Peterson on every corner position, but just from seeing just how the team is kind of struggling to find this identity, you really need to have someone just be able to step up and take over, whether that's going to be Chandler Jones saying, all right, here, we're going to take over, whether it's uh, Matthew just basically just, you know, abandoning kind of the thoughts or worries about getting war, uh, if it's getting hurt again or just being able to just go out at it without any type of repercussion. They just don't seem to have that spark on defense. Uh, we did get to see that in the Philadelphia game. Maybe it's tied to the offense, uh, but I think that what we're going to be moving forward, we'll take a look at um, just exactly what this defense will be because last year they put up a, a heck of a show against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. If they can find a way to replicate that performance, be able to force uh, several turnovers, um, Jameis Winston is a huge guy who goes and goes to Mike Evans all the time. Patrick Peterson, if he can be able to force an early turnover, get the team in good field position, that might be the best chance that they'd have to try to turn the season around. Next, I want to shift into another spot, which is talking about something that it feels like we've been talking about ever since the 20, uh, 2015 season, and that's the special teams. Just with how the coaching has been, where you've got now four out of the five games they've started, you've had missed field goals. You've had missed opportunities. Uh, just coming down in this game, you had a, a long snapper get injured, so now you're having to bring in a veteran off the street. There's going to be people who are watching that long snapper because of the past history, like 
few would ever watch an NFL long snapper just due to the past history and how bad the Cardinals special teams have been. To get make matters worse, he even had a early quarter blown punt for that was returned 72 yards that gave the Eagles perfect field position. And Arizona just has not been able to do anything more than just kind of catch the ball and hope for the best. I know TJ Logan's been out, but at some point you just have to kind of say, when is enough going to be enough with this team? We've talked for a while just about how sick fans are of Amos Jones's coaching as far as for you don't see improvement or progress. You're always being kind of told that it's not on the coaching, it's on the players. But just how many times can you really end up making those excuses or seeing those struggles? Uh, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are just uh, without piling maybe too much on, but what are your thoughts at least on the special teams, John? Well, I mean, the one thing that Ken Wisenhunt and his staff did well toward the end was they had solid to good special teams uh, with LaRod Stevens Howling and Jay Feely, and they were fun to watch in those areas. It was the defense and the offense that, that struggled immensely which uh, uh, led to, to his dismissal. And so when Bruce Arians came on board and the offense was rolling and, and Todd Bowles was phenomenal, you know, the special teams kind of got a pass with Amos Jones. But when the team started getting recognized nationally and we, you know, started kicking around the idea of being a Super Bowl contender, um, one of the things that, that routinely has held this team back was the fact that the special teams was, you know, an eyesore and hurt them in a lot of ways, field position being a big one of them. And um, my opinion is if last year didn't get Amos Jones fired, then then Amos Jones will be the, the special teams coordinator until Bruce Arians is done coaching this football team. Um, because I don't think Steve Keim will um, part ways with uh, one of – I don't think he'll undermine Bruce – and in that regard, I think he'll give him uh, control of his own coaching staff. I think – I believe Bruce Arians believes that, that Amos Jones is a good special teams coach, which is unfortunate because we've seen the exact opposite. Uh, we've seen Andre Ellington and Kerwin Williams and Stephon Taylor and whomever you want to name take the ball out of the end zone and be tackled on the five-yard line, the 10, the 15, the 20. Um, when if you stay in the end zone now, you get, you get it at 25. Um, we haven't had a dynamic returner. T.J. Logan looked like that guy. But, I mean, you know, we saw glimpses in half of a preseason game. So I'm not buying the excuse that one guy would have changed the entire landscape of our special teams. I think that's a little bit of a cop-out. I was excited to see him. I hope we get to bring him back this year. But to say that all of our problems would have been solved – folks still have to block in, in front of them. And I think the biggest one of our biggest problems was the blocking uh, on the return game is subpar to below average. It's just not very good. There's no room to run. Um, so, and, and Logan's not an overly big guy. He's not a Cordero Patterson. He's not, you know, six, two, and he's not going to break a bunch of tackles. Um, and so I'm anxious to see him. I hope he comes back and plays well for this team, but um you know, he's going to have to prove himself in the return game, and I need to see more than just, you know, three quarters of a preseason game. Uh, the only area that they've improved immensely is Andy Lee, and, and, and he's a phenomenal punter, and it took them, you know, three and a half years to, to, to finally make that move. They should have made that move last year. Um, they should have made that move two years ago when they 
had a, uh, a legitimate Super Bowl roster. Um, just error after error after error where they've um, overvalued what they had. And um, we've talked about it, Blake, you know, on Twitter and, you know, on the phone and, and what have you, that this team has overvalued their own talent. Uh, they haven't replenished the depth necessary at key positions to restock for special teams. Um, and so, and also when you're an older team like the Cardinals are, and you put an emphasis on, you know, veterans at certain positions, those kind of individuals may not want to play special teams and, and may struggle, you know, getting excited to go cover a kickoff. Um, so it's just, it's the opposite of what makes the Seattle's great. You know, the, the Seattle's of the world always have the advantage in the kicking game, in the coverage game. And, you know, they beat the hell out of you on defense and, you know, they'll force a three and out. Then Tyra Lockett will return the punt to midfield and then Russell Wilson will scramble for two first downs. And then their field goal kickers, you know, he's locked, rock solid and there's three points. That's how that team beats you. The Cardinals are the opposite. They have no um, – ability right now to move the football they'll go through and out Andy Lee's putting well right now but again <coughs> excuse me um they can't play field position and their defense is underachieving so in years past this year it's been an eyesore I don't see it improving until Amos Jones is gone and I unfortunately don't think it's that's going to happen until until Bruce Aarons retires um, I don't know if it's better personnel. I think a lot of it has to do with coaching, unfortunately. Um, hopefully Phil Dawson gets his act together because I think he and Andy Lee um, are two big additions. I think hopefully those early season hiccups for uh, Phil are, are just that. Um, and he hasn't really cost the Cardinals a game yet, so that's, that's key. Um, Andy Lee's been phenomenal. I knew that was going to be a tremendous pickup. He averaged, I think, almost 50 yards a punt last week against Philadelphia. The coverage teams are what worry me. On kickoff, I, I would just kneel the ball every time in the end zone. I mean, that's at that point now where that, that unit is so, is so laughably bad. I would just have Andre just kneel the ball. Um, there's, I don't remember the last time that we've broken one outside of, you know, the 30 or the 35. There's no benefit with this team's limitations offensively, you can't afford to start uh, anywhere closer to the, to your own end zone than you, than you have been. So um, I would play it safe there. And then um, from a coverage unit standpoint, uh, I would try to angle all the punts out of bounds. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a big problem for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a bummer because from what we've seen in the preseason, T.J. Logan looked like he was actually having success uh, for the kickoff returning game. Uh, he had some two punts. I believe the one was like a 40-yard return punt, and it looked like he was so natural. And to lose him to uh, the broken wrist injury, I think, was been, was detrimental to the Cardinals because that was a guy who maybe even if it's something where if you're not able to get good coverage on teams, he at least would have a little bit better wherewithal. Um to be able to just know like when to kneel, when to come out, perhaps more than a uh, Kerwin Williams would. Uh, just taking a quick look, at least at the Cardinals' rankings. If you look at them last year, they were 32nd in special teams ranking in the National Football League. You take a look at them this year; they're again 32nd ranked in the National Football League through uh, through five games. 
just behind the uh, just ahead of the Cleveland Browns in the we suck more than you category. And at some point, I'm always a big believer in saying that if it's kind of like a three strikes that you're out kind of a deal, you need to you can make mistakes. Uh, you want to make sure that you learn from mistakes. Sometimes it takes time. But if you end up looking at this team where if they go into the 2018 season, Venarians is still head coach. Amos Jones is still your special teams coordinator. And you still end up looking at a 32nd ranked special team. But this is going to be a team where you're going to realize that they're going to be so held back by their special teams and by the stubbornness that you have to start then talking about like what's going to be kind of a level as far as a fireable offense, because you can't just take a certain level or be content with mediocrity. That's something that we've seen Michael Bidwell has had no tolerance for. Um, I'm not sure if there's going to be a move made with Amos Jones um, mid season. Uh, Arians does not seem like that kind of person. He seems very adamant about it. And I don't believe that any move would come from him or from Kime. I feel like it would have to be orders from the top, but I think that we're going to end up having to wait and see that, uh, just on what Arian's status will be. It is possible if the Cardinals end up having, say, a 5-11 and 11 season, it might be that Arians will be forced to let uh, one of his coordinators go or perhaps they'll give them permission to try to reassign them within the organization, try to find someone from the outside to bring in potentially. But it's just one of those areas that special teams makes up about a third of the game. It's incredibly important, and Kai made moves this offseason by trying to bring in uh, a new kick returner in Logan. He brought in a veteran, Phil Dawson, who just has not been able to even hit uh, basic close field goals and a struggle to hit far field goals. And even the timing's been a bit off since they did lose their long snapper. The fact was that it was still a fine snap. It was still a fine hold. Maybe the timing is a bit off, but it, the, the way that they missed that kick, it was just an area where you go into a field goal situation and expect that something's going to go wrong. When you have that base expectation that's when something has to change. That's part of the reason I feel like the team has just been beaten down over again and again and again by it. And that's part of why I think they came into that second half and just let Philadelphia run for a touchdown. Just, they didn't have any sort of hope in their offense uh, or their special teams. They just had the feeling of, oh, here we go. We're driving down the field again and we're lining up, getting ready for a field goal and it's going to be missed or there's a penalty. It's just this team like has been shooting themselves in the foot. And at some point there has to be improvement. You'd imagine there has, there's going to have to be improvement uh, just from the sheer fact of you don't know how much worse it's going to be able to get. Uh, part of what you're talking about with Kime with being a limit to acquisitions, Jalen Catanzaro has been kicking very well. He had a 57-yard field goal he hit last week, and I believe he's been perfect. Uh, I believe it's two weeks in a row as far as in the kicking game. So I don't know how much of that's on patience and time. Perhaps it was just a new environment. Uh, perhaps it's Todd Bowles who's doing a heck of a job coaching this season. Uh, but part of it also was looking at just the value that Steve Kime has had on special teams has been tremendously low overall. Andy Lee was available in, in uh, the, I believe the 2015 or 2016 season for the price of a fifth round pick. And when you talk about a fifth rounder, Kime really values his picks if he doesn't believe in spending picks on um, special teams. He's even said that before. Uh, he did go out and get a running back who is just kind of a special teams player this season. Maybe they'll work him into more of an Ellington third down back role, but Really with Steve Kime, what he hasn't done is value special teams, and that's been something that's come back, and it's bit him in the butt. He's realized that he has to go and actually commit to finding solid players and special teams, and he's also going to have to commit to being able to find young talent there. They tried the, with Chandler Catanzaro. Things didn't work out. I think a lot of it was the product, though, of poor special teams coaching. If he's going to be successful in New York as he's been, and that continues – then you're going to basically look at, okay, if Captain Zero can come in and struggle with some upside and then he leaves the team and gets better, 
then there's no one that Amos Jones or Bruce Arians can point the finger at but their own coaching. And that's been kind of the biggest area that I just wonder if this organization, as long as they have Arians, is going to be held back in a, in a way just because they're not going to really, you're not going to see this special teams all of a sudden miraculously get better or players are going to get healthier. Even if TJ Logan comes back, I don't think they're going to make that much of a difference. So right now the Cardinals are in an area where you just have to trust that um, that Kime is going to make the tough call and the tough decision, even if that's going to be going to Bruce and saying, I know that you'll never want to fire a coach and you'll have these promises. But we've been 32nd two years in a row. Chandler's gone on. He's kicked super well there. We've been seeing all these different struggles. We have to find something to do because otherwise we're going to be looking at it with our jobs on the line next year uh, if that's going to continue. So that's just an area that um, I think that you need to always bring up and address and um, just because it's a weekly thing. This is something we've seen every week. Uh, let's talk a little bit just about kind of with Bruce Arians with the, the job the offense is doing. Let's talk a little bit about how that might change with the Adrian, with Adrian Peterson addition. We've seen John Brown and J.J. Nelson have some struggles. What are some of the areas you've seen so far as far as uh, in the Eagles game that were good? And what were mostly, at least for what were things that you saw that need to be improved, you think that could be improved um, with the addition of Peterson or with the rest of the team moving forward? Um, well, I, I, I disagree with the fact that he doesn't fit what the Cardinals like to do. I think that the notion that he can only run behind a fullback is ludicrous. I think there have been many instances, specifically Minnesota, uh, where he ran in single back eye formation um, and, and had plenty of success. Um, and so I think the Cardinals are going to run that same formula on first and second down with Adrian. And I think that in those scenarios um, with Adrian, Running the football. <coughs> hey, Blake, we might <clears> – <throat> I'm sorry. I, I keep coughing. We might have to stop, man. <clears throat> My fault. Give me one sec, okay? Yeah, not a problem. Go ahead at least and just restart whenever you're ready because I can go and cut all of this. For sure. Yeah, half our family's sick, so trying to rally oh, here. Yeah, uh, I'll go on. I've got a little bit I'll talk about the injury for, and then I'm uh, going to go over just at the very end just a little bit for the O-line and just kind of some of the stuff I tweeted about today and then a little bit on the prospects. So it won't be too much, I think, going forward, at least after this. Yeah, here I'll give a quick rundown here about his, um, his addition and how I think he fits on our offense. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I, I disagree <clears throat> nationally with the notion that he doesn't fit what the Cardinals like to do offensively. Uh, New Orleans, yes, that, that was never a good fit, especially with uh, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, uh, and their presence in that offense. Uh, the Cardinals like to run out of the I formation. Now, granted, they don't have a fullback, but they could motion one of their two tight ends into the backfield. And they do run single back, uh, especially when they had David in the backfield. So, I could see scenarios in which Adrian, uh, specifically on first and second down, ran out of that single back and had success early and often. Um, and, I, and I still think that you'll see Andre uh, coming in on passing downs for the majority of the time. Um, and I think this, this offense now runs through 
Adrian and Carson and Larry and the play action pass. And I think that as long as those three guys are involved early and often in the game plan and Adrian is producing, Bruce is going to have no problem riding the hot hand and giving him carries as long as he's productive. Uh, We've seen him before give the guy the hot hand, whether it's been Kerwin Williams, obviously David Johnson in his breakout year in 2015. If he shows him that he's got an opportunity or he's got the ability to to consistently give him positive yards, uh, I think that he will stick with him. And so uh, what I saw last Sunday was a team that needed a spark uh, offensively and needed an attitude shift. And like you said earlier, Blake, you saw it in some of the tweets from the players this week, specifically Larry Fitzgerald and Patrick Peterson, that what comes with Adrian Peterson is a mentality and a presence. And I think that his game from Minnesota translates just fine to what the Cardinals do specifically on first and second down and in the red zone. So I'm excited to see what he brings from a physicality standpoint. And I just hope the Cardinals have enough offensive possessions and plays uh, that he's able to be incorporated in on. Uh, I noticed today at practice, uh, he, he mentioned that he was tired because he was up till 3am last night studying the playbook. That's great to hear. Um, but I, I fully expect him to start this weekend and have, you know, the bulk of the, the load. I, I think he's going to be involved early and often. I think they need him. I think they need this game desperately to get back to 500 before they have a showdown with, with the division leader. Uh, and so, um, to me, he he is kind of the, the key to this offense the remainder of the season, uh, as well as you know Carson Palmer and the health of the offensive line. I think Adrian is a big part of what they want to do moving forward because we know what Andre Ellington is. We know what Kerwin is. Um, but what Adrian can bring is a, a presence that none of those other guys have. And um, what I did find interesting, Blake, um, and I'm not sure if you saw this before we started rolling tonight, is – Uh, Arian said the earliest that David Johnson could come back this year is uh, Thanksgiving. So a little bit earlier than the Christmas uh, time frame that he initially gave us. So bump that up uh, a couple weeks. So theoretically about five to six weeks from now. So you get Adrian Peterson rolling, win a couple games, you're in it. And then you potentially get David Johnson back and this team's in the playoff hunt. Suddenly the outlook looks a little bit better or trending the other way. This team continues to struggle Adrian looks like a 32-year-old, probably don't want to bring David back. But your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. No, when you're talking about with (laughs) – Yeah, for sure. And when you're talking about with David Johnson being back, there's been uh, optimism, I know, from some of the doctors who've seen that it's more kind of up to the coaches and it's up to David just about for how he feels, and especially with the pass catching since it is going to be a a wrist injury that he has – it really will depend at least on what the team stakes are. And that's part of why this is such a big game is if you win this game, you're going to be looking at a team that's back to 500 heading on to play a division leader. And they haven't at least lost a division game yet. So if you're looking at the, a struggling NFC West where the Seattle Seahawks by all rights should have lost to the St. Louis Rams on Sunday, uh, Cooper cup drops a pass in the end zone. And all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's now three and two, all the rest of the divisions at two and three, uh, with the 0-4, uh, or, or, or I should say 0-5, San Francisco 49ers holding up the rear. And they'll still probably win a couple of games. They put up a fight uh, against the Rams and the Cardinals both times they've played. And I think that they'll be able to steal one from Seattle just with how 
poor Seattle's defensive line is and just how um, they're still looking for upgrades. Uh, maybe we'll end up seeing a trade for uh, a guy like the Texans left tackle, Dwayne Brown, who's been still holding out. Um, Sean Watson's been fine since then. Russell Wilson hasn't looked the same. There's just at least an opportunity that you have here now that you know that you have at least someone who's a bit more talented and for all we know, maybe it's going to be something where you see the Cardinals go from 2.3 yards per carry to 3.3 yards per carry with Peterson. That still might be enough. Uh, they're playing a Bucks team that they've dominated the last time they came out here to Arizona. Uh, the big question, I think, going into it is who's going to be healthy enough to play? And that's where we get into the injury report for this week. Uh, Olsen Pierre did not practice, fortunately. It's only an ankle sprain from what Arian said. He doesn't expect it to be serious. But when you're going down the list of the guys who are practicing today but limited, you've got Alex Boone, John Brown, Josh Bynes, Carlos Dansby, DJ Humphreys, Josh Morrow, J.J. Nelson, Robert Candici, Corey Peters, Patrick Peterson with the quadricep, uh, Jared Valdir, and even the player who stood out some was one of the few standout players in the Eagles game with Xavier Williams. So right there you've got five defensive linemen who are all limited in practice. Outside of Frosty Rucker and uh, I believe it's Rodney Gunter, that's going to be only two players potentially who might be able to fully go up against a Buccaneers team that's having Doug Martin back. And he had a phenomenal game last week against the, uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, just you're wondering at least how exactly is the defense going to look after they got blown out by the Eagles on the road? How are they going to look back home when they're going to be potentially even more injured? Now, maybe some of these guys will be practicing in full. Uh, we, we've no idea what the status will be for guys like Kimbichi, uh, Carlos Dansby has been kind of had that hamstring all year he's played through. But just looking at the team right now, the really interesting thing is, is that we've talked a lot about the offensive line uh, and a lot of the injuries they've sustained there. Part of it was because they didn't have depth in those spots. The Cardinals did have depth on their defense, including their defensive line, and that's exactly where you've seen a lot of these injuries start to stack up. So it'll be interesting just to preview and see how the game is outlooked for. With uh, I, I do think we're going to get it big new commitment to the run will be a part of it um we'll just have to see exactly how it'll work out uh, jerron brown i think is going to be a huge factor in this game just like he was last year uh, but overall it's just going to be kind of what the cardinals will do when they have their back up against the wall uh if they lose this game we'll drop to two and four it's just such a huge hole that you've dug yourself into even when the rest of the division is struggling if the rams win next week uh you're down to two and four going to play them in london you drop to two and four and then end up struggling in a, another time zone change against a, a good offense that's got a good pass rush with uh, guys like Robert Quinn and guys like uh, uh, maybe the best player in the NFL right now in Aaron Donald. And if you drop them down to two and six, then you're going to start to basically wonder about what's left for this team as the schedule only gets tougher from there on out. So if you're able to win this game and go into the Rams game with a new heart and some new life, and try to see if you can steal one back from them. You might be able to kind of crawl yourself to four and five, five and four, before you're going to take on the, the Seattle Seahawks. And after that point, that's when you might end up starting to talk about David Johnson coming back and practicing again. Uh, you might start to hear about TJ Logan getting healthy, where maybe they'll get something in return game. So it, it's very interesting because the season is very how I pictured at the beginning of the year, which was I felt like it was kind of like on the edge of a knife where you basically were depending on four or five players to step up and play well and be available. And that would swing you to um, maybe being able to retake the division. And those same four to five players, they swung back the other way, got hurt or didn't play well. Then it kind of swung and you just end up having a train wreck of a season. So this Bucks game will go a long way in us determining exactly who this Cardinals team 
wants to be, exactly who they are. Uh, if they go out and end up having a, a struggle and lose to the Buccaneers at home, then you can just at least know that this is not a strong defense. This is not an offense that's going to be able to be sustainable. Probably whether or not they have David Johnson in, you'll start to end up looking at um, going into the Rams as like maybe they're a last-ditch effort to stay alive next week where the Rams will be smelling blood. So I do think that the season is going to kind of hinge on these next two games. Uh, and you can say that from there, but it's because they dug themselves into this hole with uh, losing, a, getting blown out by the Eagles, not being competitive, and getting dug into this hole by just with the start of the season, letting the Lions have a late fourth quarter comeback, and uh, just looking like a, a terrible, sloppy, awful team, even in their wins. So I, it'll be interesting to see where this team's going forward. Moving back onto our last point for the night, let's talk a little bit about draft. And there's some points that I, I, I at least tweeted out some of this earlier today, but I wanted to at least touch on just with when it comes to the draft and when you're scouting and looking at players, there's a lot more at stake than we think as far as for when it actually comes down to where a player comes from, sometimes even just as much or more than the actual player. And when you talk about the college teams with the great offensive lines, some of the names that pop to mind are going to be, you know, Stanford. You talk about uh, Wisconsin offensive linemen. You talk about your Alabama offensive linemen. Uh, even LSU in recent years, they just have these reputations that these schools have of being able to produce solid products. And it's part of why these guys end up going as high first round picks. But it's also an interesting sign because what Steve Kime has really done with his drafting decisions is, he's kind of taken the opposite approach. He's gone for the big and clear name guys in round one with DJ Humphreys uh, and even with uh, Jonathan Cooper. But when you look at his day three picks that he's had, he's had no day two picks of linemen. They're guys out of James Madison University or an undersized guy out of Harvard, picking someone up out of pit with Dorian Johnson, who is, that's another thing we're going to talk about today was uh, the team added Adrian Peterson, but lost their fourth round rookie today who had been on the practice squad. So you can kind of chalk it up as an automatic miss, at least, unfortunately with uh, him, even if he goes on and has a successful career, it won't be with the Cardinals. And then you take a look at the, uh, even with the picking of Jonathan Cooper, when you look at for dominant offensive lines in the NFL, a lot of the linemen are coming from, UNC has a lot of skilled position players and talent, but they do not have really any linemen that are in the NFL. So it's a reflection on coaching. It's a reflection on uh, the, call, the coaching that the guys are getting, as well as their ability to physically handle uh, a lot of these guys at the NFL level. So I don't know if you've got a couple of things you wanted to touch on real quick, John, but what are some of your thoughts on the offensive line with the Cardinals and what Steve Kime has been making with his choices and now he's kind of, he's made his bed and he, now he has to lie in it. Yeah. They're, they've really just been snake bit, you know, tackle tackle with that unit <clears throat> really since the seventies with, with the deer of the world and Conrad Dobler. And, you know, they, until IU potty made a pro bowl in 2015, the last pro bowl lineman they had was I think Lomas Brown and, you know, the early 1990s. <clears throat> and incredible. I don't, <laughs> that, that, that's it's insane. Incredible. I mean, it's ab absolutely insane. And I don't remember the last homegrown offensive lineman that, that's made a Pro Bowl for this team. I couldn't even tell you who that was. And so it's – and you get, you get you know, five guys that could potentially make it, tackle to tackle. Um, so 
I was optimistic, Kime being a former offensive lineman, the fact that Russ Graham and um, Rod Graves and Ken Wisenhunt butchered that unit so poorly uh, that he would make it a priority. And he, for the most part, tried um, and will, I think, continue to make it somewhat of a priority. Um, I think he's been hurt by the CBA uh, and the fact that the offensive line talent uh, is still there, but it's become becoming more and more raw and the coaches are having less and less time. We've talked about it before uh, to work with uh, some of these guys and the offenses that are coming out. Uh, a lot of these guys, DJ Humphreys never got into a three point stance at Florida. He's in a two point stance his entire career. So that's essentially why he was redshirted. His entire you know rookie season with the Cardinals just wasn't ready to play. Um, so Jonathan Cooper was the best offensive lineman the Cardinals had in the 2013 preseason. Dominated camp. You you read articles about how how great he looked. He was a specimen when they picked him up from the airport. Third preseason game into the third quarter, freak injury breaks his leg. Was has never been the same player. Uh, couldn't get over that injury, had never been injured before, uh, and has said, you know, I just could never get over that hump and has had an up-and-down career since then. I mean, just freak freak accident uh, that has changed the trajectory of what I think could have been a good, promising young career um, for an, an individual that I think a lot of us thought was going to be a staple of this offensive line. I think of, of all those young players of that 2013 draft, and there were a lot that busted, I think all of us said, well, seven's a little rich for a guard, but I think we're, we're all in agreement. This guy's going to be a good one. And, you know, things like that happen. But, <clears throat> you know, you make some good points, Blake, especially on those day three picks and Kime looking for those diamonds in the rough and the Jason Peters of the world. And to me, that that's just – that to, that's just luck. I think that's just rolling the dice on some guys that, that have, you know, the it factor that have the ability to come in and maybe were overlooked uh, by some uh, bigger programs that have developed late. Maybe their body uh, transformed uh, a little late on them and they got into the weight room a little late and, uh, and bulked up and, and, and maybe developed some better technique, got some better coaching at the next level. And, and, um, turned out to be a pretty good pro, but, you know, I, I think the Cardinals will be best served um, going into next off season. You know, I'm across my fingers on, on DJ Humphreys that he becomes a serviceable left tackle. And that, I think right now that's asking a lot because we've got two and a half, about two and a half seasons of DJ Humphreys football. And, uh, and that's <clears throat> and two and a half seasons of him being on the Cardinals and I think he's played maybe seven games. Yeah, this is a DJ Humphreys. We're still asking. We're still asking ourselves, who is he? We still don't know who he is. This is exactly. We don't, we, we don't know anything about what his long-term projection is. And he's going to be – are we going to give him an extension? Is he going to get his fifth-year option picked up? I mean, these are the kind of questions you're going to have to ask yourself. And so, hopefully, he's going to be a serviceable left tackle based on – you know, we're, we're, we're crossing our fingers based on a couple games. In 2016, he looked pretty good. Um, hopefully we can go into this offseason and say that position looks like it's settled for the most part. But from guard, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, I think all of those positions should be reviewed 
and up for grabs. Um, I think that I think the the 2018 quarterback, um, at least long term, is going to be found in the, in in April's draft, and I think that the protection for that for that young man should be built through free agency. And the good news is, is unlike a lot of these um, key positions that really can only be had in the draft, like franchise quarterback, um, you know, you can get a really nice guard or a really nice center or, you know, a right tackle in free agency. You may have to overspend, um, but you can get one. You know, the Ravens have done a – or the, the Raiders have done a really nice job in building their offensive line for Derek Carr outside of, I believe, um, Jackson, one of their guards, is their only homegrown offensive lineman. But they've got Rodney Hudson, who they swipe from the Chiefs. They've got KO, one of their guards. Um, their big left tackle – uh, what's his name, Blake? Yeah, that's that's Donald Penn, and he's Donald actually an Penn. interesting case because that was one of the players who was available the same year Jared Valdir was signed. Uh, he actually was the guy who replaced Valdir when the Raiders let him go, and I heard a whole lot of Raiders fans who kept going at me for for quite a while at least about how they felt the Penn was ended up being an upgrade and been cheaper. Well, he ended up holding out, finally got his deal this off season, and it's actually been kind of a train wreck this season so far. He's just looked very terrible in both the run and pass game. So it's interesting just with how Valdir and how Penn have just kind of mirrored each other almost in a certain way. But despite Valdir giving up a sack, and I think some of this that you'll use at least for just grading the rest of the year, he's still a lot younger than Penn. And maybe you do look at um, Valdir as maybe if it's something where you need to have a left tackle or a right tackle even next year. Maybe it's a guy that you just kind of bite the dust on that contract and for an extra year just because you don't want to have to replace four positions on the offensive line. Uh, if he can hold up and show prove that he's able to be capable now, if he continues to struggle, then I think I totally agree with you. You're going to start looking at just maybe four out of the five positions being changed and maybe just having um, uh, a competition of some type between Evan Bame and A.Q. Shipley or just kind of having to still look to upgrade there. Absolutely. Um, the fact that you're having to bring back Earl Watford and he's starting games for you after being uh, with the team for 48 hours, I mean, that's a red flag. And you've got undrafted guys and rookies coming in, um, you know, on short notice. And I know that's due to injury, but, you know, I see fans on social media clamoring, well, let's trade for an offensive lineman. Everybody in the league who doesn't have a quality offensive line wants good offensive line play. So the Cardinals are in a boat with about probably a third to half of the league that doesn't have good offensive line play that wants it. So who's going to give them good offensive linemen? It's, that's, that's something that cannot be corrected during the season. You know, the Adrian Peterson trade, that's something that, you know, can be taken care of because he's 32 years old. He comes with baggage. He's got a big salary, so on and so forth. to give up a six-round pick. But we're being realistic you know, things like quarterback and tackle and those things you get settled in the offseason. This is who the Cardinals are up front. And you better hope Alex Boone can come in and play decent football. You better hope that DJ Humphreys, you know, tearing his knee isn't going to affect him long term. You better hope that Jared Valdir isn't continuing to look like a shell of himself and doesn't get Carson Palmer killed before the end of the season. This is who they're going to go with. And if if you continue to say, 
well, that's not good enough. We're going we're to give up 60 sacks this year. Well, then, then we need to have a discussion about, well, how much heat do we need to put on Steve Kahn because he put this unit together and decided not to invest in more resources on the offensive line. He thought that this unit was more than fine going into the season, and uh, the depth on this unit um, clearly is not good enough, clearly. Totally agree. And uh, it's interesting with when you're talking about with Adrian Peterson, just with uh, what they gave up for him. The Saints are the ones who kind of ended up being the team that took on the bulk of that contract. Peterson's only really going to be getting a million dollars if he hits uh, a certain uh, a landmark. I believe it's if it's a, I think it's a thousand, it's a, a thousand yards, maybe it's 1500. It's either way, it's a high landmark, but the Saints took on the bulk of that contract. They also gave Peterson a two year deal rather than a one-year deal, which is something I found fascinating because if you do end up getting something out of Peterson this year uh, at all and David Johnson comes back, you've been spending all this time looking for that second back behind David Johnson as far as Kerwin Williams goes. Having Johnson and Peterson, if he shows something, and if maybe it's even too much to ask for for this season, we'll have to see about that. But if he ends up factoring into the 2018 plans at all, there's nothing guaranteed in that contract for that year. Um, that would be fascinating if you could end up seeing how the new the uh, the rushing attack could end up looking for extra. But th- we still have a long way to go at that season. First, I just found it interesting that the the Saints basically gave up uh, a very very beneficial contract to Arizona and ate it all up. That's part of what Steve Kime. When you look at him, is it's not people are saying that he's a bad manager, saying to fire him, but really it's not that he hasn't ever been able to field a competent offensive line. The fact is that he's not been able to field an offensive line with homegrown talent. And there's a big difference there. What it kind of shows, at least, is that part of it is probably on Arians with having smart, wise veterans who are in his system. A part of it also just shows it's a talent issue. The team had Jonathan Cooper looking great before his injury. But you also saw Bobby Massey take a seat for a year. Um, You saw him come back the next year and be a capable starting right tackle. You also have taken a look at DJ Humphreys going from knee-deep to where the team was able to play him a left tackle and he didn't give up a sack and they were willing to move him over. And I know some are bashing that they shouldn't have ever switched Humphreys and Valdir, but they didn't make that move to right tackle for Jared Valdir's sake. They're looking to see if Humphreys could be the guy long-term. And sadly, we still don't know. And that's part of why we're having to kind of wonder and look into the draft. So I just want to touch a little bit as we kind of head out on just some of the linemen in the draft and some of where I think Steve Kimes approach needs to change is, I think that he needs to start looking at some of these high-end schools that are producing the top offensive line talent, like a, the Stanfords of the world. Um, one that's really interesting this year is Notre Dame, where if you look at guys like Zach Martin, uh, Ronnie Stanley has been a, a big success for the Baltimore Ravens. They've got two guys this year who will be in the draft available. That's Mike McGlinchey, who's the, their left tackle, who's been stalwart, as well as um, you've got Quentin Nelson, who's been a guard. And I don't know if Arizona is going to be willing to take or if fans would even accept them taking another first-round guard. But if you've already were kind of drafting Dorian Johnson, hoping that he was going to be one of the guys to take over for you, Potty, and he's gone. If you had Cole Toner as a guy who was kind of playing a little bit of guard then moved to center, and Evan Bame is kind of having to be stuck there now and he's a natural center, maybe you move him over if you think you can upgrade from Shipley with him. Perhaps it's a team where if the team ends up kind of striving, gets back, ends up at an 8-8 eight and eight season, might not be that bad of idea to at least look for a guard if Carson Palmer decides to give it another go. Uh, or maybe if the team ends up doing like how most fans do not want them to do and decides to kind of look for a veteran quarterback. Or even if you end up having a, a guy who you target in the second round as your guy because you're so sold on them or you trade it back up into the late first 
maybe just by putting together enough of the pieces on an offensive line, you're able to kind of have more of a successful offense, whether it's going to be a Gabbard or they end up still having Stanton Palmer, whoever the quarterback is next year, they will need to be protected. Uh, and I do think that getting a guy from that line will be there. So a couple other guys I, I think that we can at least talk about is Connor Williams has had a kind of rough start to this year with Texas. He's been a huge, incredibly tech, technician in a lot of ways, but he's just kind of gotten a little sloppy this year. And then uh, the last guy I at least want to look at was um, just from, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, Martez uh, Ivy, I believe is another guy. He's someone who, uh, he's playing uh, at a very high level this year. He's another guard. Uh, that would be kind of an area where he's from another big name school. What are some of your thoughts, at least, John, on have you been watching any of the offensive linemen this year in the college ranks? Are there any thoughts about what schools or anything where the Cardinals should look for just to kind of replace this issue? What round should they be targeting guys in? Just give me your thoughts. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I'm never opposed to taking an offensive lineman early, even if you've struggled to do it. So in the past, <clears throat> I'm not going to not take a quarterback early just because this franchise has never hit on a franchise quarterback early. That that would be, um, you know, that would be crazy to, to ignore. So uh, somebody I've keyed in on uh, going back to last year, the offensive tackle for, for Washington, I believe he's a senior this year, uh, Trey Adams. I think he's like 6'7", uh, plays left tackle, um, basically – one of the <clears throat> top tackles that I've seen this year uh, was a stud in the Pac-12. I think it was all Pac-12 last year. Was on that phenomenal Husky team a year ago. Um, probably a left tackle in the NFL. I don't think he can play guard in year one and then kick out to left tackle. I think he's a day one left tackle in the NFL. Um, I, I would guess he's a, he's a first-round pick in 2018, should he declare if he's not a senior. Um, he is a monster of a man. I think he's six seven three ten, um, and he's got some crazy length on him. Um, so he's somebody I think uh, the Cardinals would be wise to take a look at. Connor Williams, um, Blake, uh, I'd be anxious to see how he does against an Oklahoma front that um, gave um, Ohio State all kinds of problems earlier this year. Um, Connor Williams, on the flip side, is somebody I could see early on in his NFL career because he's under 300 pounds because he's a little undersized for a tackle could maybe play a little bit of guard early on. Um, you know, I wouldn't hate that for the Cardinals to get somebody who be like a Lalo Collins with, with what Dallas did to play him early in his career at guard, then kick him out to, you know, right tackle um, to make the transition a little easier. And I like doing things like that because you, you're getting production out of, you know, the individual in year one, but you're not losing snaps. And um, so I think that would be easier for fans to kind of accept. Um, and so, no, I, I'm not um, opposed to an offensive lineman at all. Uh, and I, I totally agree. I, I think that the two areas in which this team needs to be focusing on outside of quarterback is, are the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Defensive line, especially with Calais Campbell gone, and that unit looks incredibly average right now. And offensive line with um, the fact that DJ Humphreys is out. It's very ironic with Humphreys and Kim DG not playing. Those are the two areas where we're focusing on week in and week out. And then, oh, yeah, who's going to take over for Carson Palmer? Secondary, you know, for the, for the most part looks good. Linebackers are loaded, you know. We've talked about wide receivers, you know, the last couple of weeks, Blake, and, you know, 
<clears throat> we like some guys in the draft and we, we like some of the current wide receivers the Cardinals have. And we both feel like there's too many holes on this team to take a wide receiver that early. David Johnson's going to come back. He's going to be healthy. You know, I, I think the the three biggest needs on this team, quarterback of the future, number one, and then, you know, 1A or 1B and 1C would be, you know, offensive line and, and defensive line. Yeah, whenever you have uh, two first-round picks in back-to-back years and they're not playing uh, for your team in the first quarter of the season, we don't even know how long it's going to be for at least, but when you look at how few games they've actually started, I think it's it's under like uh, I believe it's like only about thirty or so percent for DJ Humphreys, and it's under twenty five percent for Kandichi. That whenever you have that l- lack of production from your first round pick, you're not going to be able to have uh, a successful team. Just kind of period. You're there's times where you get over bad first round picks, but when you were like Kaiman specifically drafted those players to fill those roles for knowing that you're going to end up moving Veldir over and moving on from him to play left tackle and he gets hurt and injured, no one's going to move on from Calais Campbell. That's been part of the reason why you've had uh, just a lack of um, success in those areas because you kind of put all your eggs in those baskets and those baskets are just kind of broke for you. Getting back a little bit to what you said about Trey Adams, um, he's looking from a well, it seems with being measured in, he's up to 327 pounds now. So uh, apparently he gained another 17 pounds or so from where he'd been lifted. That's just a massive human being. Uh, that's one of the cool things, at least, of being able to see with this draft process of really weird out. But there also is just stuff with touching on Connor Williams. Apparently he did have um, a MCL tear. I was trying to remember why, what the struggle was, but that was the story I had seen was he did have a uh, unfortunate meniscus tear. Some of that stuff with injuries kind of goes back to when you look at Look at a DJ Humphreys uh, in the draft. He had a couple of injuries, at least, that he sustained. And sometimes you don't think of as much of it. Uh, sometimes it does play out like how it is in the NFL. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch for uh, how the team works, especially when they figure out what's going to go on for the future. All right, well, that should just about wrap it all up for today for the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, any thoughts, at least, or score predictions you have for the Tampa Bay game before we head out tonight, John? I would just like to see a better defensive effort. We're all anxious to see Adrian Peterson um, on the defensive side. You know, I think he's been a great player for the Cardinals where they drafted him. But, you know, I think we're the experiment with Justin Bethel at corner. I think, I I think this is his last year with the team anyway, considering his salary. I, I think it's about time. You need to let Brandon Williams sink or swim at that position Brandon Williams ran a four three seven at the combine. I think it's I think it's about time to let him play the number two cornerback. Uh, Bethel does not have the the top end speed to compete with the Tory Smiths of the world. We saw that a week ago. He burned the Cardinals. Uh, Bethel is being exposed at the number two corner spot, and I think it's time to put him on the bench. Yeah, I think it's a, it'll be interesting because Arians is very much. Uh... You know, that type of guy who once he has his vet there, he sticks with him. But team just has struggled ever since they moved on from Powers. Well, I see. I, I personally am picking, I think, where I, – I know I've talked to a couple of the Cardinals fans about this, but I, some are thinking very doom and gloom, and especially when you look at the injury report, it looks bad. And if those guys don't end up playing, then the Cardinals might not just have enough talent to be able to go out there. But I'm picking them at least to get a win this week because, on one hand, I feel like that – Adrian Peterson signing, they're at home against the Bucks team. I think that they could at least be able to maybe gut out a win, maybe make it a stand off. And because their backs are truly up against the wall, in the Eagles game, they 
We're still at a two and two record. Now I think that the onus will be on them. If they do go out and lose, then you'll kind of at least know where the team is. But I think the second reason for why I think they'll win is I don't think this is a bad enough football team just from what I'm seeing to be able to have one of those things where you start off with like a two and six start. Maybe that is the luck or maybe that is kind of what they get. But I think this is a team that's going to try to at least get to that. Maybe it is just that they're an eight and eight team. And so being three and three is kind of where they're supposed to be. But we'll see. I've been uh, wrong so far in the first four games, but I was dead on about the Cardinals getting blown up by the Eagles last week. So yes, you were, you were very right about that. Yeah. We'll see at least if we can continue on with the next week. I think the Cardinals might win it close, might come down to a Phil Dawson field goal, but I think that they'll hit it and get pick up a win at home and go in with a little bit of momentum. Um, We'll have to see exactly what we're talking about post game. If it'll be, uh, I'm talking about Adrian Peterson or if it'll be in a negative way we're talking about the play of the offensive line Adrian Peterson so thanks again for joining me as always uh, John why don't you tell people where they can uh, communicate with you on uh, Twitter yes sir I am at Johnny's football that's at J-O-N-N-Y-S football so like Johnny football but not Manziel and there's an S there so thanks fellas all right, and you can find me on Revenge of the Birds. I'll be writing or getting a fantasy article out there uh, pretty soon, at least coming up. And you can also talk to me anytime at Blake Murphy7. Thanks again for joining us, guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you guys after the bucket. Pros and the no start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on Select Concrete Mix, now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sForPros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.